Hello and welcome to episode 77 of Linux Downtime. I'm Joe. I'm Gary. And I'm Amalith. Good to talk to you both again. There was recently a bit of drama about LexD and being taken in-house at Canonical and Stefan Graeber, who was leading that project, left Canonical. And in his blog post, he talked about not wanting to sign the Canonical CLA, the Contributor License Agreement. And that got us talking in our little Telegram group about CLAs. And also this other thing, DCOs, which I hadn't even heard of, which is quite similar. A DCO is a developer certificate of origin, and it's often used as an alternative to CLAs. CLAs can do things like assign your copyright that you hold over your contribution, your changes. They can reassign that copyright to the entity like Canonical, at which point you don't own that code anymore. Canonical does. And DCOs instead say, I am authorized to make this change and I authorize the project to use my change under their license. With the DCO, I believe in most cases, the author of the code still owns the copyright. Yes. Well, with the canonical CLA, you do still own the copyright, but you relinquish the rights to how it's licensed, I believe. Mm -hmm. Which would, in theory, allow canonical to, for example, make your changes proprietary. I'm very conflicted about CLAs that do this in general. Drew DeVault had a blog post called Don't Sign a CLA. And then he had another one more recently that was, I think, something like Don't Sign a CLA 2. <laughs> and he makes very good points in those both of those blog posts. Because when you, as a contributor, sign that CLA, you are trusting that the project will act in good faith will use your contribution the way you intend it to be used. But what the CLA allows that entity to do is whatever they want with it. They can make it proprietary, and that's not good. You contributed, most likely, because you expected it to be open source, because you expected to be able to use it in 10 years just the way you are now. But if they make it proprietary and paid and expensive, well, you're SOL. Yes, but there is the argument that, for example, if a new version of the GPL came out, and you didn't have the all later part in your current license, and you had a bunch of disparate contributors, some of whom aren't even with us anymore, you literally wouldn't be able to move your project to the GPL4. And that could potentially be a really good thing to move to that. That is my conflict. Yeah, but that does seem a little bit um, optimistic, shall we say. It seems like CLAs are generally not going to be used for that kind of, or historically haven't been used for that kind of thing. I think it would be very useful if someone came up with, like, actually talked to some lawyers and came up with a CLA that made it so the entity the project is owned by, I guess, in, for example, Canonical, if they drafted an agreement such that your contribution could never be made proprietary and it would always be under an open source license. I think that could be good. That's against the open source definition, which is problematic. What do you mean by that's against the open source definition? So the open source initiative is the nonprofit that defines the open source definition or the OSD. In that, there are 10 provisions. And of them, the most important one is that open source code should not discriminate against any one or any party. By discriminating against proprietary software, making something proprietary, you are therefore breaking the definition 
And this is kind of like the same thing where a couple of years ago, there were people that were trying to write licenses that would stop ICE and other questionable government entities, we'll go with that, from using their open source code. But in doing so, they were breaking the open source definition and therefore creating non-OSI approved open source licenses. Yeah, you can't say, for example, anyone can use my open source code for anything they like as long as it doesn't involve war and weapons, mm. because that's just not open source. You're not free to do what you want with it. You can't put limitations on it. If you're open and free to all, you're open and free to all. Yeah, and you have to take the rough with the smooth. I don't think I agree that it would be against the OSD. Number five in the open source definition is no discrimination against persons or groups. I don't think saying that this code will never be made proprietary discriminates against any person or groups. Well, because, yeah, isn't that the idea of copyleft and the GPL, for example? Like, you can't take this code and make it proprietary. You have to keep it, you know, that has got a restriction on it. Right. The CLI I'm proposing would not constrict the developer. It would constrict the organization. They can relicense it under different licenses, but not make it proprietary. So I think the important point here is that a CLA isn't part of open source. Right. Adding restrictions via CLA, sure. But when people are making contributions via an open source license, they're going to expect a license change to also be an OSI approved license. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming. There's a lot of talk nowadays about do licenses even matter? Are they enforceable? Stuff like that. So just forgetting all that for a moment. But I, I think the the bigger point we're looking at is by giving them the ability to change the license in that CLA, we would want that CLA to say that it has to be an OSI-approved license. Right, yes. Which some people will have a problem with as well. But that, I don't think, actually breaks the OSD because it's not a license, but it's the thing next to the license. So it, mm -hmm. it's definitely a gray area. And this is kind of where CLAs fall in general because there are like additional restrictions on the software that's not part of the license, which is questionable. That's why I was saying it would be good to have an actual lawyer involved. None of us are lawyers. None of this is legal advice. <laughs> yes, of <laughs> yes, course. Standard, I am not a lawyer disclaimer. Yes. But that said, for us in the pigeon world, it would be handy if we did have some ability to control our license. Uh, as Joe alluded to earlier, whether he was referring to pigeon or not, being 25 years old, we have a ton of contributors. Some of them are companies that are no longer around or they've been bought out or they just, you know, went bankrupt and they're gone. So we can't go and talk to these contributors to get their approval to change licenses or anything. So we are literally stuck where we are. Now there's benefits to that, right? We are, we are completely a hundred percent community owned. But that means for stuff like if we ever wanted to put pigeon on the iOS app store, we can't. So there's two reasons for that. But the, uh, the one is uh, we don't technically have legal access to connect to these services. So we're against the, that term. So that'll just knock us out anyway. But the one that's pertinent to this discussion is that the iOS store, I think it's both the Apple stores, their terms say that the store can be your only means of distribution of the application. That is directly in conflict with the GPL. What most GPL applications have done is they've granted an exception to it. We can't contact all of our contributors, therefore we can't grant the exception, therefore we can't release an iOS version. 
It's amazing, Gary, that you managed to get at least a few minutes into this discussion before mentioning Pigeon. It must be some sort of record. <laughs> hey, to be fair, I've heard you mention Pigeon quite a bit on the other shows lately, too. Well, yeah, because uh, <laughs> you've taught me quite a lot about it. And yeah, that being such an old project, this could have all been solved if you'd had a CLA. Mm. But that just wasn't really a thing back then. And people are generally against signing a CLA. But yeah, you do run into these problems. I think technically DCOs were around when Pigeon was created, but none of us knew what they were. So we just never set it up. And at this point, there's no point. But a DCO wouldn't solve that problem, would it? Of being able to relicense contributions? I think it would depend on the specifics of the DCO, but in general, I don't think it would per se. I think a DCO is more meant to cover like embargoes with different countries and stuff like that. But again, not a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. So not exactly clear who. Okay. This episode is sponsored by Factor. Now that we're at the height of summer, you might be looking for wholesome, convenient meals to support sunny, active days. Factor can help you fuel up fast with flavorful and nutritious ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track reaching your goals. With Factor, skip the trip to the grocery store and skip chopping, prepping, and cleaning up too. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes, so all you have to do is heat them up and enjoy. Too busy running around during the day to think about lunch? Keep your energy up with Lunch To Go. Effortless, wholesome meals like grain bowls and salad toppers that are ready to eat when you're on the go. No microwave required. Gary tried Factor and said he loved the variety of delicious meals, found it super convenient, and was happy to see how recyclable the packaging is. So support the show and go to factormeals.com slash LDT50 and use code LDT50 to get 50% off. That's code LDT50 at factormeals.com slash LDT50 to get 50% off. Quick bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. If you want to join those people, you can go to linuxdowntime.com slash support. And remember that for various amounts on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed of either just this show or all the shows in the Late Night Linux family. And if you want to get in contact with us, you can email show at linuxdowntime.com. Licenses and CLAs are somewhat at the forefront of my mind right now because I am developing an application that I intend to monetize in some way software as a service dual license i i don't know yet it's going to take over the world is it amleth uh, no <laughs> i want to cover my ass and make sure i can relicense it if i need to at some point i don't intend to make it proprietary but i don't want people to have to trust me that i won't make it proprietary because i wouldn't trust someone else I don't want them to trust me. So I I don't know. This is one of the reasons why all my new stuff that's web-based or server-based is all just AGPL3. Yeah. Yeah, if you do that and don't have a CLA, then there's no way that you'll be able to make it proprietary. But you want to leave that option open to yourself then. I don't want to leave the option open to make it proprietary. I want to leave the option open for AGPL4 or something, if it comes out in the future. I've, I've heard a lot of people say that GPL is not sufficient nowadays. Mm. We need a newer, stronger, better license. And if I picked a GPL, I'd be locked into it. I don't think there's an or later provision for that, is there? If you're the only contributor, you can relicense whenever you want. Sure. Well, even then, you could do a simple CLA that just goes, hey, 
we're keeping an eye out for the next version. This is what we want to, we potentially want to move to this. You need to be okay with that to accept your contributions, right? Like a CLA doesn't need to be the super complicated thing. It can just literally be that like, Hey, we want to consider moving to this license, but what about a GPL five? Then you'd be out of that one. Yeah. Then it just sort of spirals, doesn't it? You keep thinking of potential things that might happen, use cases. Whereas if you just say, look, trust me, it'll be fine. (laughs) Smile. Trust me, bro. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's the only real way to cover all your bases. And I think like as a contributor, you have to decide who to trust. Mm -hmm. And if you don't like the sound of it, don't contribute. If you're just doing a drive-by contribution to, you probably don't care regardless. Right. I did a drive-by commit to a project a while ago, and I literally don't care because I needed the feature. So it's just like, yeah, do what you will. You take this upstream and I'll consume it later. And I'm happy with that, right? And so you signed the CLA then? I don't think there was one. But you would have. Yeah, because it's like, I needed the feature. It was easy for me to write. I contributed it. It got merged. Cool. I'm happy. Now, that said, maybe there's an idea here for something along the same lines as a DCO or a CLA, but something more to fit MLS needs and mine, actually, really. Maybe we need something where, like, there's an agreement for stakeholders. And like, if you've written 10% or more of the code, then you can vote. Otherwise you can't, but you still run into the same problems. Mm -hmm. How do you decide what 10% is? What if someone puts a bunch of comments in, you know, like really thoroughly documents it? Does that count as code? Get blame and ignore the comments. (laughs) (laughs) Always use annotate. Blame has negative connotations. Always use annotate. I see. The lines of code counting tools, they will keep track of comments and stuff. But yeah, I didn't say it was a great idea, right? But like, even then, you were still running into the problem of, well, this is derivative code, so does it still belong to the original person? Stuff like that, right? But just trying to give a little bit more power to you know the people that have been keeping the project alive or started it or maintained it. But at the same time, yeah, I don't know. It's a quick idea I just came up with, and clearly it is faulty. Um, <laughs> yeah, this isn't easy, is it? No, not at all. And there's that point you made before earlier does any of it even matter because people just ignore licenses anyway yeah yeah that becomes a big problem with what a lot of people like to call the open source license laundering service known as <laughs> copilot where i know for a fact that there's pigeon code in there and i've purposely tried to keep it out of there and i can't and that's gpl code and it's very possible for somebody to grab it and drop it into their proprietary software or whatever and you say copilot Of course, there's a distinction between GitHub Copilot and Microsoft Copilot, even though Microsoft owns GitHub and you'd think they'd be the same thing, but they're not really. They do kind of accomplish similar tasks, but in completely different environments. GitHub Copilot is for code. Microsoft Copilot is for their Office applications. Yeah, I don't know. To me, they're both plagiarism as a service. Sure. That's quite the accusation, and uh, I don't want them to sue us, so uh, I disagree. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm going to have to cut that or something. No, I mean, look, it's this is so new in relative terms that we just don't know whether they're going to get away with it or not, what the copyright situation is. And this is a perfect example of why licenses need to be nimble. We saw... Over the last decade or so, the likes of Amazon taking open source projects and hosting them themselves and selling them and not contributing back. And then we got all these business source licenses and everything. Elasticsearch, OpenSearch, the Elastic License, yeah. Yeah, and now the next fight is these LLMs and AI, whatever you want to call it. And you need to be able to 
update your licenses. And Pigeon, among many other older applications, are just totally out in the cold. You just can't. You're stuck with the license that you've got. And apart from doing a complete rewrite, which sounds like that's pretty much what you're doing, (laughs) what other choice have you got? if you don't have a CLA. And so I think it's probably a good idea for this new thing that you're doing, Amalith, to have at least something like that Mm -hmm. or just not accept contributions. That is another option (laughs) as well. You know, just do it all yourself. I want contributions. I want people to help. (laughs) Well, they have to trust you then, eh? Mm, Sure. So one of the things I keep bringing up about the large language models or the AI in general is that they're generative. And the thing with that is when you're building something new and unique, they're not helpful to you, right? And unless somebody's writing a clone of what you're using, your code's not useful to anybody. There's not really a whole lot of utility in it. So at that point, the usability of them just drops to zero, at least in my cases. I know others will disagree, and that's fine. But in my cases, it's just it hasn't really affected us because there's not there's either not enough example code out there because people aren't doing these things or people are doing them, but they're doing them in different languages and stuff. So it doesn't matter. Right. Well, we'd better get out of here then. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, but until then, I've been Joe. I've been Gary. And I've been Amalith. See you later.